let us all together say the Lord's Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgave our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A very good evening to everyone. We welcome uh, His Eminence Martuma Iramia with us. It's an absolute blessing to have our beautiful Archbishop, uh, who is on a visit from Canada to our beloved country here, Australia. So a very warm welcome to His Eminence and to all of you guys. I, um, I thank the Lord Jesus for um, times as such where the Lord gives us the, this opportunity to get together uh, in His love and in His Word, which is uh, the life-giving. Uh, without the Lord Jesus, uh, I can assure you we are absolutely lost. Without the Lord Jesus, I can assure you there is no life because He is the only source of life. He is the truth to everything that exists and ever to exist. And um, He is our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our God, and our beautiful Heavenly Father. We thank Him, we adore Him, we worship Him, and we love Him forever and evermore. Amen. New faces with us for the first time, a show of hands. Any new faces? Beautiful. Wow. That's lovely. That's lovely. That's lovely. Warm welcome to all of you. I hope it's not going to be the last time. I hope it's going to continue. So uh, we thank the Lord uh, for whatever. It's hot, cold, uh, happy, not happy, uh, hungry, I'm full. I need to thank Jesus all the time. Amen? Amen. Yes? Yes, that's the way. Guys, tonight we're going to give you a taste of... Um, some of you probably have, have uh, listened to this lecture. I did that in Assyrian. So I'm giving you a warning in advance. I thought of giving you a bit of a taste is when we talk about theology... People, uh, you've heard maybe people saying, oh, I, I study theology, um, this is a theological interpretation. You hear the word theology and some of us wonder what is theology all about. And I always say this, uh, maybe theology is not for everyone uh, because not everyone is going to be probably that confident and that comfortable to sort of go in that path. So, but it is good. Because theology is the study of the divine God. We get to know who this God is. And we get to know how this God talks. How deep He is in a very simplistic form or format. So uh, we'll give you a small taste of that theology tonight. And we chose for you a, um, a, a topic which is the epistle of uh, St. Paul to the Ephesians. And chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to finish all the five verses. We may be talking about the first one or two verses. But we'll see how we go. So we'll read together Ephesians. It's the epistle of St. Paul. To the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. St. Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And glory be to the Lord of St. Paul. Amen. I'm going to try and be as simple as possible. And my apologies in advance. If I'm going to say things that you're not going to follow me with it, I apologize in advance. St. Paul, we can say very briefly, he is one of the rarest theologians the world had ever seen and will ever see. The way he writes, when we read his epistles, um, we may sometimes think that we understand what he is saying. Because according to my intellectual capacity, I read this 
I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Yeah, yeah, I think what he's talking about. He's sending a letter to Ephesus, and it's very obvious, and it's very clear, and it's very straightforward. But when we come and go slightly deeper into what he's saying, you will find it is totally a different ballgame altogether. So he is so deep, he is so profound in his, in his writings. Of course, it is the, the Holy Spirit directing St. Paul, 100%. But the Lord Jesus gave him the gift. He was a very knowledgeable man and very, very powerful in his writings. St. Paul, prior to conversion to Christianity, he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the persecutor of the Christians. He used to give anyone who would um, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he would give them a hard time. One day he was going to persecute some Christians in Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of Syria in the Middle East. So as he was going to Damascus to, uh, to persecute the Christians there, the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the, on the road there. At this time, the Lord Jesus had already ascended to heaven. He was crucified, buried, died, buried, he rose, and he was in heaven. The Lord Jesus, after ascending to heaven, appears to Saul. His name was Saul. He appears to him and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You cannot kick a needle. You cannot strike a needle. He said, who are you that I am persecuting, Lord? And then, and then the Lord replied and said, I am Jesus Christ, that I came and this and this and this and this and this and this. And he said, after that, Saint Saul came back to Jesus and he said, Lord, what would you like me to do for you? The first thing he said, who are you that I am persecuting, Lord? The second time he says, Lord, what would you like me to do for you? The first statement, Lord, came last. The second statement, Lord, came first. And that was the time of conversion of St. Paul. His eyes went blind from the light that he saw coming down from heaven. And he heard the voice of Jesus Christ and the awesome light of the Lord Jesus, the sun, S-U-N, the light of the world. He shined on, on Saul. He made him go blind. And he said, go to this particular street in this particular house and go and meet this guy called Henania, which is in Damascus. He, this guy lived in Damascus. And his house now is being converted into a church. He said, you go to him. He's going to pray on you. He's going to tell you everything that you need because you are a chosen vessel for me. I chose you. I, Jesus Christ, have chosen you to be the vessel of glory for me. So he goes to that house. He meets Hananiah and he said, look, I accept. I, I have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Hananiah prayed on him. Those lids or whatever that were covering the eyes of Saul, they fell off and he regained his sight. And then he was baptized and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and became a Christian. And he, his name changed from Saul to Paul. Now the word Paul means the small one or the little one. I am the little one. I am Paul. Now what is he saying here? I'll give you a bit of a taste of theology as we said. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The epistle to the Ephesians St. Paul starts by this, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the, the epistle that precedes Ephesians is Galatians. If you look at the order in the Bible, Galatians come before Ephesians. The Galatians people, he found it so difficult to prove to them that he is a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because those people that were living there in Galatia, they said for someone to come and claim to be an apostle of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, he, needs, he needed to have lived with Jesus Christ, walked with Him, had been with Jesus all the time while He was on earth. Now Paul, 
was not with the Lord Jesus. He was not of the 12th or the 70th. He was not. So at the time where the Lord was still on earth, Paul had not seen Jesus at all prior to crucifixion. So that's why these Jewish people, they said, for you to claim this title as an apostle, you must have lived, walked, ate, drank, hugged him, kissed him while he was on earth. Since you have not been with Jesus like Peter, like Andrew, like Philip, like Nathanael and the rest, therefore you are a false apostle. You are not an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's why he comes in Ephesians and he says, listen guys, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. How was I chosen to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? Through the will of God. It is God who chose me. Through whom? His beloved son, Jesus Christ. Now, why is he attaching his name to Jesus first, not Christ? Now, this is theology. I'm sorry. Now, I'll get your attention. Guys, look at this. If we continue, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, notice this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He swaps the names. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ and to the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because what is the meaning of apostle? The word apostle in the Aramaic or Syriac language, which is the Lord's, the Lord's language. Uh, there are some Syrian people, there are some Maronites people. Uh, we all speak the same language. We all speak the same language. The word apostle uh, is shlicha or shlicha, we say it, depending on the pronunciation, whether it's an Eastern accent of the Syriac language or the Western accent. But it's the same language, it's only the, the accent is different. So the word shlicha or shlicha or shlicha means. A, a messenger. That's what it means. It, it's a person who has been sent by someone else. So Jesus Christ is a messenger of God. In this sense. In this sense, He is a messenger of God. So who did God send Jesus Christ? Why? Because God sent His Son. Now the only way that God can send His Son if he puts on the human nature. Because the Son of God is God himself. Bear with me. The Son of God is God himself. God does not send himself. God does not need to go or come. God is everywhere at the same place, at the same time, in all places, at all times. So God does not go and come. But he was sent by Jesus Christ was sent by God. The human side comes first. You with me? So St. Paul being a messenger by the will of God through whom? The human side of Jesus. As Jesus was sent, he says, so as the human side of Jesus sent me first. So I'm going to attach myself to the humanity before the divinity. But it is through the will of the Almighty God that through his beloved son Jesus, whom I am an apostle, that I'm attaching myself to the, to the human side of, of God, to the human side of Jesus. So who sent me? Jesus, then Christ. You with me? Yes or no? Okay, good. It is the will of God. Now I want you to pay attention. When St. Paul says that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Apostle means shlicha or shlicha, means a messenger. Now, when a messenger comes, what are they bringing with them? A message, true or not? Why would a messenger come then if they're not bringing a message? That's their job. So he is a messenger of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Therefore, he is bringing a message which God willed it to be so. It was his will. Now, listen to this. If St. Paul walked through this door here, then what is St. Paul? A messenger. He's bringing a message to all of us. 
And this messenger and his message is the will of God. God gave it the green light. Therefore, when the messenger comes to us and gives us a message, guess what? It is not only the messenger that is chosen by God through his will, but also those who will listen to the message are also chosen by God. Are you with me? Otherwise, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to listen to the message if God had not chosen you as well. So when you are listening to the message of God in Bible preach, I want you to realize this, that God chose for you to be here. God willed it for you to be here. God wants you to be here. Why? Because God loves you all more than himself. So don't ever think that if the Bishop Murray is given us this message, that he's something special to God. No, God willed for Bishop Murray to give you this message and he willed it equally for you to hear it. So his love for Bishop Murray and you is the same. Yeah? Otherwise, neither, Mar neither Bishop Murray nor you would have been able to carry the message and to listen to the message. Are you with me or not? You see, without God, we can absolutely do nothing. We need to understand, guys, put it in your heart, in your mind, in the depth of your soul. God is the source of my very existence, my very breath of life, my everything. God pulls the switch off, I'm gone. I can't do nothing. He is everything. So when you get up in the morning, say, God, you willed it for me to get up in the morning. If you had not, I wouldn't have ever gotten up. I thank you, Jesus, for giving me this brand new day. It is a gift. Thank him for it. When you go out without a scratch, when you come back home without a scratch, you willed it for me to be protected. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your protection. When you have food on the table, it is you, Lord, that put that food on the table. When you go to work and make good money, it is the Lord Jesus who gave you that money. You need to give it back to him. Everything happens through the will of God. Without the will of God, nothing will ever happen. Now he's saying, listen to this now. He's saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And the faithful in Christ Jesus. Theology. Saints in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. What is Ephesus? The church. We go to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It talks about the seven churches in Asia Minor. The very first church in chapter 2 of Revelation is Ephesus. All the names of the churches in, in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, all the names of the churches are in Greek. Now Ephesus means the beloved one, the chosen one. He's saying to all the saints who are in Ephesus, Ephesus is the church. The church, the very start of the church was the beloved. Why? Because the church in the very first century, up until the end of the first century, for the first hundred years, the church was beloved to Jesus Christ because it walked, it lived a simple life. Centuries went by. We started making things complicated. We started searching for ranks, for positions, for false glories, you know, self-glories. And we forgot about Jesus Christ. That's why the church of Jesus started moving and shifting from, from Ephesus to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Theatira, to Sardis, to uh, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea at the end. Now the very start of the church was Ephesus. That's the first century. Ephesus is the beloved. The last, the last stage of the church. It is not seven churches. It's one church. Jesus has one church. But the last stage of the church is Leodikia. Leos in Greek means uh, nation. Dikia means veered of the road. It is the people who have veered of the road. The last stage of my church is going to be my Christians are going to be away from me. Only by name Christians, no deeds. That's why I call the first, the start of my church, my beloved. Why? 
Because Simon Peter, Andrew, Philip, all the disciples were the same. They were down to earth. They didn't have big cathedrals. They didn't have humongous buildings. They used to go from one town to the other, from one village to the other, from one street to the other, from one shop to the other, preaching the gospel. And they were very humble down to earth, wearing sandals and very humble and simple clothings. Look at us now. We are dressed up in linen and gold and humongous cathedrals reaching out the heavens. And we are saying we are who we are. We lost the touch of humility. Simplicity. We lost that touch. But the start was Ephesus. He is saying to all the saints who are in the church and the beloved. And Jesus Christ, he called her the beloved. Why? You see, Jesus Christ loves the church, does not love the world. Now, this is theology. I'm sorry. Who loves the world? God. John 3.16, the gospel of John 3.16. And so God loved the world. In the New Testament, I challenge you all. You read the entire New Testament from the gospel of Matthew to the book of Revelation. You will never find one verse in the New Testament that Jesus Christ loved the world. He loved his own. His own is the church. And what is the church to him? His bride. He made her the bride. And he paid for this wedding with his own precious blood on Calvary on the cross. You know, in the Middle East, in the good old days now, I don't know if they do the same now, I'm not sure. But in the Middle East, especially those cultures, when they used to come and, and they want to sort of uh, take this girl from the parents, they have to pay a price for this girl. There's a price tag before you take her out. The parents of the girl would say, hey, we raised this girl, we worked very hard, and we raised her in a very, very good way, in a very Christian way. She is not easy to leave the home. You better pay the price and respect her and show me your gold and your diamonds, your money. So there was a price. Jesus said, I love you so much, my Ephesus, my church, my beloved, you are my bride, and I'm the bridegroom. I'm coming to give the price for you. And that price is going to be my life on the line. Now, to the saints who are in the church, to the faithfuls who are in Christ Jesus. In the church, we are saints. In Christ Jesus, we are faithfuls, not saints. Now, that's theology. You see, I'm, I'm just touching the surface. Do you see how these epistles are so deep? It's not just, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, his, oh, his, all the saints in Ephesus. Yeah, wow, yeah, Ephesus was somewhere over there. Yes, that's no problem. It's not that simple. In the church, we're saints. In Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, we are faithful. Now, what is the difference between saints and faithfuls? Now, theologically speaking, I'll try to make it as simple as possible. I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish it off on these two verses. I won't be able to finish the rest. Now, listen to this. When the Lord Jesus came, when the Lord Jesus came, He preached, He did wonders, and He died on the cross. He was crucified. He died on the cross in the flesh. He was buried and He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of His Father. The moment He ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of His Daddy, who came down? Holy Spirit. Yes? Very good. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and said, the moment he sat at the right hand of daddy, the Holy Spirit got up and came down. He came down where? To dwell in us. To dwell in us. How did the Holy Spirit dwell in us? Ephesus means the church. And who are the church? All souls that are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are Ephesus. We are all Ephesus. We are the church of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit descended in us, who we are, that church. How did the Holy Spirit descend and dwelt in us? Through the holy baptism. The second birth, the holy baptism, one of the seven sacraments of the holy church of Jesus Christ. One of the holy seven sacraments. When the Holy Spirit descended 
and dwelt in us after Jesus rose and, got, and went into heaven and sat at the right hand of his daddy. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt in us in the, through the holy baptism. We became saints in Ephesus, saints in the church, but faithfuls in Christ Jesus. My goodness. Now listen to this. In the first epistle of St. Peter, in the first epistle of St. Peter, now look how the Holy Bible is all interlocking. It's one. It, it actually explains itself by itself. If you read the first epistle of St. Peter, and you read the first one, two, and third verse of, of, that, of that epistle, you will see that St. Peter on the other side is saying that the blood of Jesus Christ is being sprinkled to purify us. And the Holy Spirit is used to sanctify us. Now sanctification and purification. He's saying, St. Peter, that the blood of Jesus Christ is being sprinkled to purify us. And the Holy Spirit is used to sanctify us. Sanctification's holiness. Purification's faithfulness. What is sanctification? What is holiness? To the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints in the church. Now, are we saints? We are called to sainthood. But we will be saints when we leave this world and our name is written in the book of life. Then my sainthood is stamped sealed forever. But until I'm in the flesh on earth, I am called to be a saint. Why? Because I'm a member in the church. I am in Ephesus. I am a member in the church. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me to sanctify me and get me to holiness. What is holiness? What is sanctification? Now, it's going to go deeper now. Listen to this. Sanctification does not change the nature of an object or a thing. But sanctification changed the deed of that object, not the nature. This glass, that's just an example, so you can understand what I'm saying. Sanctification does not change the nature of this glass, but sanctification changes the work of this glass or the deed of this glass. This glass is an ordinary glass like any other glasses. I can buy it, you can buy it. I'm a clergyman, you're not. But I can get it, you can get it as well. For as long as you buy it from the shop, all of us, me and you, if we buy it from the shop, it is a glass. True or not? With this glass, I can use it for whatever I want. I can pour water in it, I can pour oil in it, I can pour petrol in it, I can pour Coca-Cola 7-Up, orange juice. You can pour anything in it. True or not? Now... When this glass comes to the church and someone like moi takes the cross and says a prayer on this glass, anoints this glass by the prayers and the holy oil, what happens to this glass becomes sanctified, becomes holy. When I prayed on this glass, on this vessel of the church, when I prayed on it and I sanctified this glass, did the nature of the glass change? Did the shape, the color, the, sh the... Nothing, it's the same glass. It preserved the nature. The nature is still glass, it's still round, it's a cylinder, it's got an opening from the top. The color is the same. But what changed here? The use of this glass. Now this cup, now this cup, I can only pour in it the blood of the Lamb of God. I cannot use it for nothing else anymore. This cup cannot leave the church, cannot leave the altar, and this cup I cannot pour nothing in it but the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Sanctification specifies the usage but does not change the nature of it. When the Holy Spirit descended in us, dwelt in this cup, we became what? We became vessels for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That only Jesus can use me for His work. I cannot be used by no one else for any other work outside Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
You understand what I'm talking about now, bro? When the Holy Spirit came in us as Christians, the Holy Spirit sanctified us. We became specified for one action, for one deed. We are supposed to use our bodies, our lives, our souls for the glory of God and no one else. A Christian cannot swear. A Christian cannot lie. A Christian cannot kill. A Christian cannot take drugs. A Christian cannot take uh, whatever. Cannot do wrong things. Because I became a vessel for the usage of Jesus Christ only. They can't pour Coca-Cola in me anymore. As a Christian, in the church, we are called to be saints. A saint meaning I live for Jesus and Jesus only. Do you get it now? Now, why is the church in trouble? Why is there so many divisions? Why is there so many frictions within the church? Because we have been called to sainthood, but we are not practicing that sainthood. Some come to the church to glorify themselves. Some come to the church so they can be seen, not Jesus. But if we were all coming with the intention for Jesus to be seen, for Jesus to be glorified, I can assure you there wouldn't have been no problems, no divisions in the church whatsoever. But everybody says, I'm right, and you're wrong. It's my way, not your way. I hold the truth, you don't hold the truth. I'm this, you're that. Which group you come from? Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, which one is it? When we are sanctified... We are only to be used for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, as Christians in in the church, which is Ephesus, we need to live, we need to walk that sainthood. So, holiness, I walk the distance. Faithfulness, I live it. I am faithful in Christ, I live in Him, but I walk in his path, which is sainthood. To the saints in Ephesus, St. Paul is reminding the Ephesians and all of us, the 21st century. He's saying, you guys who have been baptized by the Holy Trinity, you guys who have been baptized into Christ, have put on the Christ, you are the temple of God. Therefore, don't forget you have been called to sainthood. Are you living that life or are you living just like the world is living? You call yourself a Christian, but you want to go and enjoy it as all the people of the world do who are living in darkness. You are the child of the light, not the darkness. What are you doing? Where are you going? Are you going, are you going clubbing, bro? Do you speak the language of the world? Foul language? Your behavior? Your talks? Your walks? Is it like of the world? Or are you of Christ's? Don't forget, you have been invited to become a saint. Now a saint... I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm in the world, but I'm not one of the people of the world. I don't belong to this world. I have another world awaiting me. My my father's kingdom. That is my home. That is my, my resting place. I don't belong here. Stop, for Jesus' sake, stop imitating people. Did you see what she was wearing? Look at her car. Look at his house. Look at his luxurious lifestyle. How come they live in a mansion we don't? How come they can afford this and we don't? How come, he, how come her and his parents give him all these things? And how come you mom and dad don't give me? Am I a lesser being? I'm better than everyone else. How come you don't give me what other people have? We start looking and we try to imitate and we try to become people that we are not. Stop pretending you are not anyone but Jesus. That's who you are. You belong to Jesus. You see, if you open up your heart and you really say, Lord, come into my heart and please teach me how to live for you. As a young boy and as a young girl, as a mature person... Whoever you are, wherever you are, Jesus Christ is everywhere and He loves you all equally. Call Jesus and ask Him to come and teach you how to live for Him.
give him your heart and say, Lord, please, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. You show me the way. You lead my way. And you teach me what your purpose of my very existence in this life is all about. Tell me what you want from me. Teach me how you think. Teach me how you talk. Teach me how you walk. I want to imitate you on earth. I am a saint. And a saint is I'm a child of God because God is holy and his children have to be holy like him. Now saints in the church, we are faithfuls in Christ Jesus. Why did he put the, word, the name Christ before Jesus when it came to faith? In the epistle to Ephesians, chapter 5, this is chapter 1. You go to chapter 5, St. Paul says that the church is the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of this body, the church. Now, the church is what? The body of Christ. Now the church is, who is the church? What did we say? The Christians. The Christians are the church. Now the church, who, are, who is us, we are the body of who? Christ, not Jesus. I don't have the time to explain it all. We are the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. Because in Galatians 3.27, St. Paul says, You who have been baptized into Christ have put on the temple of Christ. So we are the temple of Christ and that temple is the church. We are members in this church. And all these members, which are the body of Jesus, of Christ, they have to be holy. Can any member in the body of Christ be a sinner? Impossible. Because what is sin? Darkness. What is holiness? Light. What is sin? Death. What is holiness? Life. Can, can light and darkness mix? Impossible. Can life and death mix? Can sweet and sour mix? Impossible. It is either sweet or sour. It is either light or dark. It is either life or death. As we are members in the body of, of, the, of Christ, therefore He is holy, then every member has to be holy. In the church, we're called to be holy. But in Christ, we're faithful. Why? Now, since the church, who is us, is the body of Christ and He is the head, how are we connected to Jesus Christ? Through what? Starts with the letter F. How are we connected to Christ? Faith. Correct. We are connected to Christ through faith. So in Him we are faithfuls. Because in Christ it's a connection. In the church is a path we walk. So holiness is a path I walk in it. But faithfulness is something that I dwell in it. Now Christ is the head of the church. Who is the church? Ephesus. Who is Ephesus? Us. Now, what connects the head to the body? Huh? Who can tell me? What connects the head to the body? The neck. Uh-huh. Very good. Now, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament now to, to show you how the Bible links together and explains itself by itself. I'll take you to the Song of Solomon. To the Song of Solomon. It's eight chapters. Read it. It's beautiful. It talks about love. But it's not like the love that you think. It's a divine love. It's a bridegroom and the bride. That kind of love. Matrimonial love. Marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom. And we are the church. We are the, we are the bride. He came to unite the bride to Him. You know how the Bible says in, in, in Genesis, the Lord God said... These two, Adam and Eve, these two are no longer two, but one in matrimonial unity. In marriage, the two become one. Jesus came to marry us. It's a marriage. Jesus Christ, church in the New Testament is the bride. Jesus Christ, church in the Old Testament is the vineyard. It's a vineyard. Read, uh, read Isaiah chapter 1. He's talking about a vineyard. But in the New Testament, it's a bride, Revelation. It's a bride of the bridegroom. So he came to unite his church to him, make it one, united. Now what unites the body to the head? The neck. 
Now, in the Song of Solomon, which is a chapter in the Old Testament, it's eight chapters. It's a book in the Old Testament with eight chapters. He says, King Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, he's saying, the bridegroom is talking to the bride here. He's saying, I have, he's saying, your cheeks, the bride, the groom is saying to the bride, your cheeks are like bread without, without leaven. It's an unleavened bread without yeast. Your cheeks is a bread without yeast. And your neck, I have made it so beautiful with three chains of gold. I have made your neck so beautiful, I dressed it with three chains of gold, and your cheeks are bread, an unleavened bread, meaning a bread without yeast in it. When you look at me, you can see the face very clearly, yes? But you can't see the neck very clearly. True or not? A girl, if I look at you, you know, um, sometimes the hair is coming down, sometimes you're wearing some clothes, it's covering your neck. But the face, you don't cover, unless you come from a particular denomination. But the face is, what is the face? Is the most obvious and the most vivid, very clear and exposed member of this entire body. The face is a member in the body. A finger is a member, an eye is a member, an ear is a member. So, he is saying the church is the body of Christ. Therefore, every one of us is one member of this body. One of us is a finger. The other one is a nose. The other one is an ear. The other one is an eye. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking theologically here. Are you with me or not? We make the body of Jesus of Christ. We are members. Now, the cheek is the member of this body that is vivid, clear, exposed, seen by all. Yes? The neck is the hidden one that cannot be seen very clearly like the cheeks. He is saying what is visible is like an unleavened bread, a bread without yeast. Biblically speaking, yeast represents sin. Yeast represents sin. Why? Because a yeast, you put it in the dough, it rots. That's what makes the dough puffs up. Because it rots inside it. So the yeast is rot. And what is rot? Sin. What is sin? Filth. And what is, what is that? The wage of that is death. And when you, when you die, you rot. So yeast represents sin. He is saying your cheeks is like a bread without yeast in it. Unleavened bread. Now, the cheek are exposed. The neck is hidden. Let's interpret that biblically and literally now. What does the cheek represent? Your deeds. What does the neck represent? Your faith. Can you see someone's faith? No. How do you know this person is faithful through their deeds? What is the out, outside? Is the work, the deed. What is internal un, unseen? Is the faith. That's why in the epistle of St. James, in the epistle of St. James, he says, faith without deed is dead, and deed without faith is dead also. You say, you stand and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I adore you. Lord Jesus, I follow you till the last breath of my life. Jesus says, okay, thank you. But this is good, but it's not good enough. I needed to put it into practice now. What you just told me that you love me, you die for me, you worship me. Well, let me see you in the action. I don't want just to see your lips talking. I want to see your deeds telling me that you love me. If I say I love you and my deeds shows opposite, then my love to him is false. Yes or no? So what he's saying the cheeks that are outside, what is outside? Is your deeds. People see your actions, people do not see your faith. The faith is hidden inside. But the faith becomes visible or, or uh, illustrated through the actions that you do in life. You say, I'm a Christian. Do people see Christ? No. But what do they see? The Christian deeds that are in you. When they see you behaving nicely, dressing up nicely, talking nicely, 
they're going to see the hidden Christ in the deeds that you just showed and reflected. So the cheeks are what? The deeds. The neck is hidden is your faith. He said, I will make your deeds holy, without sin, without yeast, unleavened bread. If you live in me and connect to me by faith. Neck. What connects the head to the body? The neck. Guys, did you know the most fragile member in the entire body is the neck? A small twist, they break someone's neck far from you, the person is either fully paralyzed or dead. The neck is very fragile. The Lord Jesus says, I work in you through your fragility. I, I want your weaknesses. I don't want your strength. I look for people when they say, I'm nothing. I look for people when they say, Lord, I'm blind. I look for people when they say, Lord, I'm an idiot. I look for people when they say, I'm, I'm really the most weakest person ever to exist. That's what attracts me. Why? Because it is through your weakness that I prove that I'm God. You see, when, when the Lord God came to Moses in the Old Testament, you've heard about Moses? You've read about Moses? Yes? No? Thanks very much. When the Lord God came to Moses, He came to him when Moses was 80 years of age. Now why did the Lord God wait till Moses was 80? Why didn't He use him when he was 40 in his strength? He said, no, no, I'm going to wait till he's 80. Why? Because in the book of Psalms of King David, King David says, the retirement age of any one of us is 70 and pushing it to the limit 80. The retirement age for any one of us is the age of 70. We need to retire after 70. But if you want to really push it till the max, till the age of 80, then you retire. Not, pa not pass away, but retire, okay? May God bless you all and give you a long life. So the retirement age is 80. When a person retires, he is saying, I cannot work any longer. What does that mean? I am at my weakest point in life. I don't have the strength to go out and do the physical work anymore. I'm good for no work anymore. I don't fit. I'm not fit enough to work. So 80 is the retirement age. The Lord God came and with all love and respect to those who are 80 and close to 80. The Lord God came deliberately to Moses at the age of 80. And he says, Moses, I am choosing you now. It is the right time. It is the right age. Absolutely perfect. And I want you now to do something for me, Moses. Moses being 80, he barely walks. He is very old. He, he can sort of barely manage. And then the Lord God comes and says to him, I want you to go and tell the most powerful king. Go and tell him. He better let my people out or else. One old man going to the most powerful king, Pharaoh, ruling the world. This old man, he barely walks and he barely talks. He's going to go and tell Pharaoh, listen mate, if you don't let the Israelites out of Egypt, I'm going to belt you one brother. Now Moses turned to God and he said, time out, are you serious? God, you must have mistaken the address. You've come into the wrong... God, I'm 80. He says, I know. You're talking to God. God knows everything and everyone. He says, but I'm 80. He says, yeah, I know you're 80. That's why I'm choosing you. Why? Because I'll choose you at your weakest. Because you need to walk in me and by me and through me in faith. And what attaches me to you is the neck. I'm the head. You're the body. The neck is the weakest point and the weakest member in the body. I want your weakness. When you are weak, Jesus says, I'm strong. Because if I reveal my strength through Goliath, people are going to say, Goliath did it. But if I reveal my strength through Moses, an old man, they're going to say, it is impossible this guy led the Israelites out of Egypt. It must have been an awesome hidden power inside this guy.
so that the glory can go back to God, not to you. Are you with me or not? In Christ, we are faithfuls. What is faith? Lord, I'm connected to you in my weaknesses. So that whatever I do good in life, I give it back to you. Nothing comes good out of me. It is you who did it through me, my Lord. Are you with me now? Now, as saints in the church, only Jesus can use me. No one else can. Downtown is not for me. Clubbing is not for me. Hanging around Mecca's till early morning is not for me. I'm not that kind of vessel. Jesus can only use me. And what would Jesus use me for? For his job, for his work, for his church. Then I'm used by Jesus to read the Bible. I'm used by Jesus to go to the, to the church and receive the Holy Communion. I'm used by Jesus to go and help the needy. Visit someone sick, someone in need, someone naked. I clothe, I do all the good deeds. Help someone that is fallen. I put them back on their feet. I need to do all the good deeds to reflect that I'm true saint for Jesus Christ. And when I help people, when I reach out to people, when I put back people on their, on their feet again, I'll say, I'm nothing. It is Jesus who did it in faith. All glory be to Jesus Christ because he did it in me, the weak vessel and instrument. Do you see how far we are from the Lord? Yeah. We fight over silly things a lot of times. If not a lot, sometimes. Oh, you took this from me. Why did you do that? This is my laptop. Uh, don't come into my room anymore. Don't use my perfume. How dare you take my Chanel? Uh, you go and buy your own. Uh, you're my sister, but I don't care. You go and work and buy one. Don't use my... Uh. As Christians, as family members, we need to share and care. Material things do not control us. We control them. We control them. And we are a vessel for Jesus Christ. I don't swear. I don't use foul language. That is of the world. It is not of Christ's. How would you feel if somebody comes and says, Jesus swore? You'd feel very offended, wouldn't you? Then why do you swear? You are, you are him. You are his temple. You see, one day, I'm sorry, I have to say this. I gave it as an example. Don't get me wrong. Don't be offended, please, guys. It's an example. I said, let's say someone is smoking cigarettes. Okay, it's a habit. I got into it. I want to get rid of it. I tried so many times. I failed. I'm coming back. I'm smoking. But hopefully one day with, with Lord's grace, I'm going to give it up. And it's good. It's, it's bad for your health and it's bad for your pocket as well. It's not good for you. So let's say I'm smoking. And then if I ask that person, can you give it up? No, I really can't. I have to smoke cigarette. I can't, I can't, I can't. I said, okay, when you are sitting in the church in the mass, and the holy mass can go maybe for an hour, for two hours. And do you smoke while you are in the church during the holy mass? No, bishop, how can I smoke while I'm in the mass? Why not? No way, man. Why not? Ah. Because, you know, I'm standing before the Lord Jesus. He is up there on the altar. It's a sin. I can't smoke. That's disrespectful to Jesus and his, and his holy altar. So you are saying to yourself that you can, you can go without a cigarette for as long as the holy mass is on. Why? Because subconsciously you're saying to yourself, do not smoke self because it is not right to smoke while you are in the presence of Jesus Christ. When do you smoke? When you go out of the church building, in the car park. <laughs> you become a chimney. Now my question is, you said to yourself in the church, I'm not going to smoke because I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ. But how, why, are you, why are you smoking in the car park of the church? Because you're saying, I'm not in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's why you smoked. But did you realize the Bible says that Jesus Christ is everywhere? He is in the car park, he is in the car, he is in the office, he is in the home, he is in the church, he is on the roof, he is below the roof, he is in you, around you, and everywhere. So if I remind myself that Jesus is present always in my life, wherever I am, 
then I shouldn't be smoking either in the car park. True or not? The next time you go to the church, you smoke in the church as well because there is no difference. He is present in the church and outside. And that goes with everything else. We are a vessel used for His glory. By faith, we are the neck. Now, I don't want to make you feel pessimistic and down. Let's be optimistic now. Faith is good. Why? Because what connects us to the head is the neck. Now, someone comes to you and Satan does this. Now, listen to this. I have good experience with this guy called Satan. And listen to what I'm saying. This bead did not go white on its own like that. It went through a lot of trials. Satan will come. And especially when you are feeling really down, he will come full force. Of course, within a, a, a limit because Jesus will not let Satan be totally free in your life. Otherwise, he'll, he'll eat your life. So he will come and test you. Uh, he will come and put you to a, to a trial, especially when you are feeling down. When you're feeling down, you're going to sit in your room and shut the door because you don't want to see no one. You don't want to talk to no one. You don't want to go out. You are feeling miserable. You hide your life. So you're going to sit in your room and shut the door and every negative thought under the sun will come in your head. I hate myself. I'm ugly. I'm filthy. I'm this. I'm that. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm ignorant. I'm, I'm good for nothing. You're going to start thinking, this is not you. Satan will multiply it. He's going to... Give you a nice pump. He's going to multiply it. You're going to start thinking all the negative thoughts. And before you know it, you're going to come to this stage where you're going to say, that's it, I give up. What's the point of living anymore? There is no point to live. There is no point to go ahead. You know, everything is ugly. Everything is dark. Everything is bad. Might as well I just pull the plug and, and see you later. Some people commit suicide because they lose hope. Now, next time Satan comes to you and says, you are a loser. He says to you and makes fun indirectly and, and pushes you more and more into the dark alley and takes you more and more deeper and deeper and deeper into this, this uh, despair and in a very, very awkward situation. You say to Satan and you say to the whole world, listen guys, for as long as Jesus Christ is my head, nothing can ever touch me. If the entire body is submerged underwater, I'm in this big ocean. Now compare my size to the ocean, to the Pacific Ocean, I'm nothing. I'm not even a drop compared to the size. But as long as the body is underwater, and as long as my head is above water, no matter how many times people say to you, you are dead, you're not. As long as my head is above water, I can always breathe and I'm alive. The body is underwater, that's fine, no problem. It is a problem when the head goes underwater. Now, Christ is the head of the body, the church. We are the church, we are His body, He is the head. I get connected to the head by the neck, faith. Now, where is Christ? He ascended and sat at the right hand of His Father. Who is my head? Where is my head? In the heaven of all heavens. Can anyone put the head of Christ underwater? Can anyone touch the head of Christ? Can anyone overcome the head of Christ? No. For as long as no one can come overcome the head of Christ, then I, the body, am alive. Because where do I get my oxygen from? The head. He is my life. But if this body is detached from the head, I'm dead. Because the only source of my life is the head. And what connects me to the head is the neck, faith. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to Christ means that when Christ said, I will never leave you alone, be faithful to whatever He said. Faithful means don't ever suspect what Jesus promised you. Don't ever say, where is Jesus? Don't ever say, Jesus has gone left me. Jesus is not doing nothing for me. Jesus is, is, doesn't care anymore about me. That is not faithful. Because when Jesus makes a promise, since Jesus is God, then God will never go back on His promise. His promise is forever. 
unchanging, no matter what you do and what you say. So when you have faith in His word, nothing can touch you. And nothing can break you. And nothing can detach you from Jesus Christ. When you trust in what He said, not in what you believe, in what you do. No, in what Jesus said, believe in that, you're going to live in Him, connected to Him. No Satan, no power ever can touch you and detach you from Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, we'll continue the other three verses because the other three verses are really beautiful. Are really beautiful. Go and read it at home. Read Ephesians chapter 1. And read the verse 3, 4 and 5. I'll take a couple of seconds. I'll just read it and leave you with this thought. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us. I'll give you this hint. Chose, past tense. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us, again in past tense, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, and all glory be to the Lord of, of St. Paul. My beloved, we are called to be saints in Ephesus. We are called to be saints in the church. We are Christians. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit is trying to work in us to sanctify us. Meaning, making us this vessel to be used only for Jesus Christ. Deeds and works. No one else's. Don't let people use you and abuse you. Don't let Satan drift you away into those dark alleys. You are not of the world. You are of Christ. You don't belong to the world. Don't imitate them, my beloved. Be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world. Romans chapter 12, do not be, be, not, do not be conformed, but rather transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because this is the holy, acceptable sacrifice, a living sacrifice that you give it to God. We need to be transformed, my beloved. Don't imitate people of this world. You belong to Jesus Christ. Be like Him. Act like Him by calling upon His name and by being faithful in Him. And connecting yourself to Him. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I'm coming tonight and I'm kneeling before you in worship. And I'm asking you, Lord, to hold on to me. Guide me and deliver me from every evil tribulation that is visible and invisible. Show me the way because without you there is no way. There is no truth and there is no life. Amen. God bless you. And the Lord Jesus who is our God, bless you and protect you and guide you and make you true saints for Him and faithful in Him for now and forevermore to come. Amen. Let's stand for the finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you and protect you now and forevermore. Amen. I shall see you next week for the continuation of this topic.